0: Good morning again. If you would, please take your Bibles, open them up to the book of Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Today we're going to be in the first nine verses of, of Romans 3. Uh, I, I'm not sure about you, but uh, I get frustrated probably too easily. Um, and probably what frustrates me more than most things is when I feel like I'm doing something right, and it doesn't work out for me. I think, for example, uh, my garbage disposal underneath my sink. Yeah, I try to be, you know, good husband. You know, provide for the family, do things myself instead of hiring people to do them. So I thought, how how hard can it be to install this this garbage disposal? So I I go to Lowe's, I pick it up, I take it home. I don't even take it all out. I, I pull out the instructions first. I'm, I'm not ashamed. I'll read the instructions. I pull out the instructions. I read them. I understand them, and then I start trying to attach this garbage disposal. And for some reason, I just cannot get this thing to slide on and to connect. And for I don't know how long. Probably, probably if I called someone who knew what they were doing, they could do it in like two seconds. In fact that's what happened but but for the life of me, I could not get it to fix and to attach onto to the bottom of the sink and, and I was so angry, I was so angry and I was so frustrated because there's a part of me that says, "If I follow the instructions, this shouldn't be hard and from garbage disposals to putting my kids' toys together when they get something for their birthday or Christmas. It drives me nuts when I follow the instructions. I feel like that ought to guarantee me a little bit of ease in these projects. Our passage today, I think we are going to see the frustration of a people who felt like they followed the instructions, that they did everything right, they did everything they were supposed to do, but at the end of the day, they were told, not enough, and it 's not going to work out for you the way you think it is. I almost feel a little embarrassed even comparing that to my garbage disposal or my kids like playmobil castle thing i 'm trying to construct for them because this is about an entire people group, about the Jews, the chosen people of God, called out by God to be his witness to the world and their thoughts in chapter 2 of Romans of, if I can just obey God, if I can just follow His law and follow His commands, I will be accepted by Him. But when we look at Romans chapter 2, especially in the last five verses of Romans chapter 2, Paul tells us that true religion, that true faith is not merely about obeying the law on the outside, But true religion and true faith is about an inward heart transformation that takes place within us. And once that heart transformation takes place, it's at that time that we have the outward effort of conformity to the law of God. The Jews that Paul was writing to in the book of Romans thought they could just try to conform their outward body to God's law and that God would accept them because of it. As a result, Jesus looked at many of them, and he described them as whitewashed tombs. You look so good on the outside. You seem to be obeying all the laws of God, but inwardly in your heart, it's rotten and decaying. There's a favorite quote I have. I'm not even sure who said it first. I always say Tim Keller because... I liked Tim Keller and I heard him say it first, but I think he stole it from someone else. There's no new ideas out there. But it's this quote right here Religion or false religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. Whereas the gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Paul told these people, the Jews, that they got a cart before the horse, that they tried to conform their outward actions while neglecting a heart transformation of faith in Christ. And I think the church today oftentimes has that same trouble. We like to be religious. We like to have that outward appearance of holiness, and we strive for that but oftentimes we have the outward appearance of holiness without the heart transformation of trust and faith in Christ. So what Paul does in Romans chapter 3 in the first nine verses is he is speaking to religious people. He is speaking to the Jews specifically, and I think we can make a connection to the religious church today. And he is anticipating the questions that they might have. We're going to say, Paul... For thousands of years, we've been following God, and now you're saying, we've missed the boat. I've got some questions for you. So Paul is answering and anticipating the questions that they're going to ask and answering them. So this is the format of our sermon this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to pull out four of the questions that the Jews were asking Paul. We're going to find a truth from Scripture about that question, and then we're going to apply it to our lives. So question, truth, application, that's kind of our, our format this morning. So if you will, please take your Bibles. If you're using the Bibles underneath the benches, we're on page 940. Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though every one were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with, saying, Their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I feel um, inadequate for this text and the twists and turns that it makes. So, Father, we... As always are counting on your Holy Spirit to make sense of this for us, to speak to our hearts, to guide us in truth, to guide us in righteousness. And Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the first question that Paul asks is in verses one and two. he says, "What advantage has the Jew? Or is what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. The Jews were God's covenant people. It was a special family that God called out of all the families of the earth and said, you are my people. God sent them prophets. He gave them kings. He gave them the word of God. And the Jews are looking at Paul who just told them that they might not truly be God's people. And they said, well, what advantage is there in being a Jew? I think an easy way to try to put this question in other words is this way. Is there any advantage in being from a biblical religion? The Jews had the oracles of God. They had the words of God. And they were asking Paul, is there any advantage... To being God's people. Is there any advantage in being from a biblical religion? For some of you, Grace Bible Church is your first church. Maybe before this time, you did not have faith in Christ. You didn't grow up in the church. Somebody invited you here. And your whole entire church context is Grace Bible Church. There are others who grew up in the church. And I think for many of us, we look back on our former churches and sometimes we will say, I don't know if I really understood the gospel there. I don't know if the gospel was truly preached there. I feel like my former church was hurtful, maybe high on legalism. Maybe it was works-based. Maybe our previous churches uh, majored on the minors, so to speak. They took one aspect of the Christian faith, and they blew it out of proportion. I'd encourage you, I think it's very easy to be hard on our former churches. In fact, I I really think that we have a tendency to either glorify or demonize our former churches. We either think they're the best thing in the world, and no other church can live up to that previous church, or we just think they were the worst experience in the world, and we can't be happier that we're no longer there. We tend to have those two extremes when we think about our former churches. But I, what I would encourage you is to realize the truth that is within this first question. Paul says that there is a great benefit to being a part of a body, for being part of the people that has the Word of God and the oracles of God. I think oftentimes, if we do come from churches that might not have understood the gospel, might not have preached the gospel, that that might have been legalism and preached a false religion, I think one of the things that we have to do, and I heard this illustration, read it in an article this week, one of the things that we need to do is treat it like we're eating fried catfish. Um, You go, I know you're saying, what in the world? Um, you, You go to the store and you buy catfish, it's the nice fillets, they don't have any bones. Um. But if you go fishing, you catch a catfish, and you, and you fillet it, and you batter it, and you fry it, I, I know at least in my household, you had the fillets, and then you had like the backbone with a little bit of meat on it. And so when you're eating catfish, what you have to do is you have to just take a bite, eat the meat, and spit out the bones. Uh, I know that probably sounds disgusting. Um. <laughs> But when we think about our previous churches, to a large extent, if we think that they were horrible experiences, that's what we need to do. We need to realize that our God is sovereign, He had us there, and that even though they might not have understood the gospel or preached a true gospel, the Bible, the Word of God, was still there. And we have to take the good from that experience, and we have to spit out the bad. And to be honest, Grace Bible Church is not a perfect church. If you think it is, man, just hang out with me a little bit, and you're going to say, I know everything that's wrong. Stephen's got all these issues. But even at Grace Bible Church, you're going to have to realize sometimes you're going to have to eat the meat and spit out the bones. There's always going to be good and bad mixed together. But what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 3 is that there is an advantage in being from a biblical religion. And that advantage is that the Word of God is present. That's our truth, that there is a great benefit, there is a great advantage to having the Word of God. The Word of God reveals to us who God is, how He has interacted in this world, and in history. 2 Timothy 3.16 says the word of God that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. My question for you this morning is are you growing in your knowledge of the word of God? Or are you coasting On previous knowledge. I think sometimes we do that. That at one point in our life we really learned a lot. And after we've moved on from that time, we just kind of coast on what we've already learned. Does that describe you and your relationship with God's word today? Or maybe that's not you. Maybe, Maybe we have to ask the question, are you striving in the word of God personally? Or are you more out there just waiting for somebody to feed it to you? I think that's another issue and problem that we have. We just come to church and we're like, man, I want someone to explain it to me. We go to a small group and it's like, I don't want to participate, I just want to receive it. Or we do that with podcasts. And we're just listening, which is very good. I mean, faith comes by hearing. Don't, don't get me wrong on that. Listening is important. But are you reading it yourself? Are you pursuing it yourself? I would encourage you, if, if you aren't, I encourage you to make yourself a plan. Whenever we're in small group and we get to the point of application, we always say make application as specific as possible. Because if you don't make your application specific, we're just not going to follow through. We're probably not going to do it. If your application is the word of God important, read the Bible. Well, all right. It's easy to walk away from here and not do anything. But if your application is specific, I am going to read the Bible. I'm going to read it at this time. I'm going to use the Bible reading plan, this one here. and I know I typically use a Bible reading plan um, because I like to check boxes. I'm a box checker. I love it. But do you know what I do? I cheat on my Bible reading plans. I don't know if that's pastorly or not. But I've already started 2017's Bible reading plan. You know Why? Because I know that when I get into 2017, there are going to be days, and maybe weekends, and maybe vacations, where I don't bust out my Bible. But I still want to be caught up in my Bible reading plan, so I give myself that margin by starting in October. Some, I just lost respect right over here. <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. But as long as you have... A plan. Not only do I start early, I also start in the prophets. Because I want to start in an area where I know I typically lose steam in reading the Bible. So I'm like, man, I'm going to start with the prophets, forge through that, and then I'm going to go to the narratives that that excites me and that, that gives me imagination. But one of the things that we need to do when we approach the Bible is make sure that we have a plan. Is there advantage in being from a biblical religion? Yes, there is. The advantage is, is that you are around the Word of God, and God uses the Word to transform you into the likeness of His Son. Our second question is found in verses 3 through 4. Paul writes, What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. The Jews looked at Paul and said, Listen, you just said that we are not necessarily in a true faith, that, that our outward efforts aren't enough, and you're saying that we need this gospel, this Jesus. But if you look around, Paul, most Jews aren't coming to Christ. Most of us aren't putting their faith in Christ. So is our unfaithfulness to believe the gospel, does it point to unfaithfulness in God? But Paul realized a truth. He realized that God's people haven't always and will not always live up to God's standard. And he says in verse 4, he says, Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. He's saying, even if none of us came to faith in God, God is still true and God is still right. God's people are not always going to live up to God's standard. And the truth for this question for us this morning is that we should not find fault with God for the failures of God's people. We should not find fault with God for the failures of of God's people. I think this is still one of the many uh, excuses that we hear today or, or many of the tripwires that we have today of people coming to church and people coming to faith in Christ is they look at the church and they're saying, there's just so many people there that aren't living the faith, that aren't faithful to God. And what Paul is reminding us in this passage today is that we cannot blame God and find fault with God for the feel- failures of God's people. In chapter two of Romans, we see the failure of God's people, and he lists it out in chapter two, verse seventeen. If you look on the on the column to the left that we just read, two seventeen, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and continues on. But did you see what he said there? He said if you rely on the law and boast in God. What what was the failures of God's people? They relied on the law for their acceptance with God the Father, and they were proud in it. Not only were they proud, but when you look at verse 21, he says, Then you teach others, and you do not teach yourself. While you preach against stealing, do you steal? And you who say that you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? What he is saying is that The way that the world blasphemes God is because of two things. It's because we rely on our own performance and not on God's transformation of our hearts. We rely on this outward perfection and we're prideful and boastful about it. And then we end up being hypocrites. We have this practice of claiming to have these moral standards and beliefs which our own behavior does not conform to. Haven't you ever heard someone say that? There's just so many hypocrites at church. What makes a person a hypocrite at church is if they are proud and if they are boastful and relying on their own works. Matthew Henry said that pride is the root of all hypocrisy. And I would add to that that self-righteousness or performance is the foundation of pride. That we go out there and we think that our performance is good and righteous and that we are obedient to God and it's through our own efforts and not through the Spirit's transformation. And because of our self-righteousness, we become proud. And when we are proud, we either don't see our own sin or we explain our sin away. And when the world looks at that person, at that believer, they blaspheme God. And what Paul is saying to the religious and to us today is that we cannot find fault with God for the failures of God's people. Though every man be a liar, God is still true. I think for our application, we have to ask ourselves the question, am I living a life that causes people to blaspheme God? Am I living the type of life full of pride and full of arrogance in my own achievements, and my own self-righteousness, that causes people to look at us and say, oh, I don't want to be a part of that? What we need to do is we need to repent of self-righteousness. And we need to strive for what the Bible calls humility. How do we get humility? I think one of the keys to obtaining com- humility and having humility is looking at the cross of Christ. And we realize that any good in us is not based off of our own works, but any good in us is based off of the work of of Christ. I'm not a football fan. I, 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 could, I could care less about sports. I'm not like, I know I got to check my man card. But last, it might be because I I didn't play football in high school growing up. Uh, and when I went to Baylor, like they were giving away tickets and Happy Meals because they were so bad. Uh, so I, I just <laughs> don't care about football. But last night, I got to watch a game between Tennessee Texas A&M. And I just, all right. <laughs> uh, and, and it was amazing. It was one of those games that even though I don't care about football, I, I was into it. I, I was not going to the dinner table. I, I got to find out what happens. I want to know. If you, if, you didn't, if you didn't see the game, good for you. Uh, but, but if you did, you know what happened. That A&M was ahead on the whole game. They were doing really well very end of the game, Tennessee came back up and they tied the game. With like 40 seconds left in the game, Tennessee ties the game. a and gets the ball and with 40 seconds goes all the way across the field and gets within easy field goal range. And so you can imagine this, this poor kicker who stands up, 100,000 people cheering, waiting for him to kick this field goal and to Win the game with eight seconds left. You're going to be a hero, right? I mean, who's not going to love you? And so he gets up there and just completely shanks it. I mean, (laughs) completely missed the field goal. So the game ends. It's tied. A&M ends up winning because during the second overtime, someone runs it in to the end zone. The game is saved. When that kicker, man, if if they had lost, I think I would have just moved. Like, I I would have, like, (laughs) dropped out of school and, like, moved to Tennessee where people liked me. (laughs) But can you imagine when this guy goes to class on Monday morning? Do you think this kicker is going to walk in with pride? Like, look what we did. Aren't we awesome? Or is he going to walk in with pride, or, or or with humility and say, "I am so thankful for my team, <laughs> because my team saved the games, won it, and also saved me as well." There's going to be a humility there because he realizes he didn't earn it, he didn't win it, but it was given to him. Whenever we look at the cross of Christ. We have to realize we did not earn our salvation. We don't deserve our salvation. But Christ went before us and won it for us. And he brings it to us and he says, Here is some righteousness for you to wear. Here is salvation for you. To have the humility and to fight the self-righteous pride that causes people to blaspheme God. We have to remember the cross of Christ. I think it might have been Rich Mullins who said that we need to remember that we are merely beggars showing other beggars where the food is. Christians are merely sinners saved by grace trying to show other sinners where the grace is. What pride can we have in that? Where might you have spiritual pride in your own life? And how can we repent of it? Our third question that Paul goes to is in verses 5 through 8. He writes, But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then, how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to this glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, and their condemnation is just. I think oftentimes whenever we're reading the Bible and studying the Bible, it can be helpful to have multiple versions present. So when I read this passage this week, I thought, what in the world is Paul saying? Um, it, what really helped me was looking up on my shelf. I keep another version of the Bible. I keep the New Living Translation up there. So if the ESV utterly confuses you and seems archaic, New Living Translation is a good version. And I pulled it out, and those translator so translates verse five in this way. But some might say, our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people to see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for Him? to punish us. They're, they're trying to build this defense for not coming to Christ, saying our unrighteousness, our, our unrighteousness shows and proves the righteousness of God. I think Paul says this even more clearly a couple chapters over. Uh, so if you flip the page, one page, to Romans chapter 6, he puts it this way. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death and were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The truth of the matter that we find in this text is that our God is a God of grace. He gives grace to sinners, but our God is also a God of judgment as well. Chapter 2, he spent a lot of time on the judgment of God. And he said, don't presume upon God's kindness. Don't presume upon God's patience. But realize that his kindness and his patience are there to draw us to repentance. I think we as Christians oftentimes have a tendency to abuse God's grace. That oftentimes we know that something is a sin, we know it's wrong, and we're like, you know what, I, I know God will forgive me for that. I know that there's grace for that. And we follow our old way of life when God has called us to something new. I think we as Christians need to get over this thought that grace equates easy. Don't we sometimes think that? We think, oh, we, we can rest in God's grace, that, that grace is easy. But Jesus see, so, you know, there are two paths. There's a, a, a wide path that leads to destruction, and many are upon it, and they're on it. Why? Because it's an easy path. But he also said that there is another way, a narrow way that leads to God. And that way, few are on it because it is a hard way. Grace does not equate easy. It equates freedom. We are free from sin. We are free from striving to earn our way to God. It's freedom, but it is not easy. Throughout all of the Bible, God is calling His people to holiness. He's calling His people to holiness. And even in Romans chapter 6, He's saying we've died with Christ, we're raised to walk in newness of life, and we need to do that. Brothers and sisters, I want to give you a verse just as, as a warning. I'm not trying to threaten you, I'm not trying to scare you, I'm trying to lovingly warn you. But in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31 This text is not about falling away from faith. If we believe in Christ, we are secure in Christ. But it is pointing us to this picture of someone who claims to have the knowledge of truth that pursues God in a religious way, but they continue to sin deliberately. And when we continue to sin deliberately, the author of Hebrews says that we are trampling the Son of God underfoot. That we are not taking seriously that which He has done for us on the cross. Do we have deliberate sin in our lives? And if we do, what are we doing about it? That leads us to our, our final question. And We're going to do this quickly. Are the religious people any better off? than the rest of the world. This seems very familiar to the very first verse in verse 9. What then? Are the Jews any better off? Doesn't that sound like a similar question? But we know it's a different question by the different answers that Paul gives. In the first question, Paul says, yeah, there's an advantage to being a Jew. There's an advantage of being religious because you have the Word of God. The second question, he is saying, even though there is an advantage to having the Word of God, you're not any better off. Why? Because we are all sinners. We all start off in this world as sinners and we remain sinners until the grace of God transforms us by the power of His Spirit through the work and blood of His Son. My question for you today, have you ever realized that you're a sinner. And if you have, realized that. Have you believed in Jesus? Are you trusting in His work on the cross for your salvation? And are you repenting of your sins? You say, I no longer want my old life, but I want to walk in newness of life with Christ. I want to pursue Him. True religion says I'm accepted by God. And it's because I'm accepted by God and loved by God and saved by God pushes me forward towards holiness and newness of life in Christ. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we declare there is an advantage to having it because it tells us the story of your beloved son. Father, help us not to take the knowledge of your son lightly, but cling the cross where we have salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.